0: Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello everyone and welcome. This is Ilya again and uh, today in this episode, um, I'm going to bring you into the fourth part of this mini-series that I'm running on, um, I guess, all things autism. and Maybe not all things, but maybe some of the the more highlighted things. So this is part four. Part one was an overview in, of autism and all of its different facets. Uh, part two was um, the DSM-5 criteria. So I get into a little bit of a breakdown of what that criteria are for an an autism diagnosis and what clinicians are looking at if if they're trying to determine if that is the appropriate diagnosis. And so I pulled from that uh, dsm Five criteria, I pulled out the social communication piece. And that was episode, uh, this last episode, uh, the third in the series. And then today I'm pulling out the repetitive and restrictive uh, behaviors out of there and uh, specifically talking about uh, sensory sensitivities as the highlight, because it does fall under the repetitive and restrictive uh, behavior piece of the DSM-5. So, um, and then as we move through this series, after I reach the sixth uh, piece, we will then um, start talking with uh, some specialists in those areas. So I'm bringing in Um, some specialists to talk about each one of these areas and give a lot more strategies and a lot more detail around it. So if you didn't get a chance to um, watch the last three or listen, I would say, to the last three, um, please go back and uh, check that out if you'd like. Um, But today we're going to talk about uh, sensory sensitivities, which falls under repetitive and restricted behaviors. We're going to talk about motor movements. And um, that's, uh, again, where we're talking about gross motor, fine motor, and visual-spatial. And then we're going to talk about um, inflexibility, which falls under here as well. And the other area that falls under here, and we'll just touch on it lightly, is uh, fixated interests, which we could also call special interests. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, um, episode 20 is with Tony Atwood, and uh, our whole topic of conversation is just about special interests. So I would encourage you to check that out. So Let's get into the sensory sensitivity piece. Um, And, you know, here when we're talking about sensory sensitivities, we're talking about how we receive information from the outside world. So, um, you know, all of our senses, and typically we understand that we have five, um, but uh, when we're talking a little bit more in the realm of autism, some people might talk about there being seven and possibly eight different types of um, senses that we have have And so we have the usual ones, which is, you know, tactile, visual, auditory, um, gustatory, olfactory. So those are our five, right? So touch, um, sight, sound, taste, and smell. Um, and then if we kind of expand that a little bit, the other three that uh, actually I'm, I'm interviewing Carol Kranowitz and uh, you'll get to hear her talk about that. The other three will be um, that we're talking about is vestibular. Um, so it's sort of how you um, place yourself in the environment. And then there's the proprioceptive. It's how your body parts relate to each other. Um, And then the uh, last one is the interoceptive piece. And so that part is sort of the things that let you know that you're hungry, let you know that you need to use the bathroom. So it's like a whole nother um, deeper sense of self. So we'll talk a bit about that with um, Carol Kranowitz. So look for that one. Uh, But If we use all of those different ways of receiving information from the world around us, those pieces give us, um, you know, Information that we can use to then respond with our body. So, um, you know, many people have different ways that they like to receive that information or different tolerance levels, I would say. So, you know, you might have someone who is um, sensory seeking. And so that's where any one of those senses is really looking for a lot of input. So maybe there's a lot of loud noise that um, is needed, or maybe they like to express themselves really loudly. Or maybe they like a lot of deep pressure, so tight hugs or uh, heavy blankets on them. So that is one way of sensory seeking or things just want to be moving really fast. Um, This is maybe where you might see kids who like to go on the swings really high and really fast, Um, maybe run around spinning. So now we start crossing over into uh, where these uh, repetitive behaviors might be coming from. And if they're sensory averse, then what happens is we want to have less of that uh, input. So we want to have less noise in the room. Things need to be quiet. So you might um, see that. Uh, I think most people are familiar with, you know, the kids putting their hands over the ears when noises get a little bit too loud for them now. Many of us might not think they're loud, but maybe for some people it is a little bit too much information. Uh, and then maybe there's a lot of visual information. So this is where we're seeing too many things on a page might be bothersome or perhaps um, too many lights. Um, maybe it's too bright. So, you know, those are some of those pieces, sometimes a very strong aversion to smell. Um, so again... That would be a sort of a sensory-averse response. And, and then as we kind of take in all of that sensory information, we then have to process that. And our bodies and brains have to make sense of what we're uh, seeing and feeling. So are we cold? Are we hot? Um, am I hurting? Uh, is, is the bright light too bright and so I need to put sunglasses on or maybe I need to dim the light? So once we have too much or too little input, our body can process that information and then we can respond. So a lot of times what happens with... People diagnosed with autism in this particular realm, um, sometimes what we look, what we see as a repetitive behavior could be sensory seeking behavior. And this is where you might hear some people talking about um, stimming Uh, and it, it could be to get that sensory input. That people are looking for or that they need. So maybe they need some of that visual stimulation. So you'll see finger flicking um, or flapping. Um, Or maybe that's just more of, you know, getting that body sensory input. So you'll see flapping or spinning to get more of that information into the body. It also can help regulate the body. So getting that information can help to regulate. Um, And when we chat with uh, with Carol Kranowitz, you'll hear um, a lot of talk about, you know, sort of creating a sensory diet, so to speak, and how to help use that sensory information as a way to self-regulate the body. So, um, you know, one thing you might see some difficulties with is being able to derive meaning from the sensory input that's around, you know, around us. So we might not be able to uh, take in that information The same way as others, and then not be able to process it. So um, in the past, there was a diagnosis called sensory processing uh, disorder, um, or you may have heard sensory integration disorder. Um, So, uh, you know, it was sort of this, you know, not able to process all of the sensory input that you're getting in, um, and then therefore you can't respond to it properly. So let's assume that, um, you know, it's really cold outside, and, and some of you may have seen with your own kids or maybe be it's yourselves or with students where uh, it's really, really cold outside, and you know, kids are wearing a short sleeve shirt and it doesn't affect them at all. Um, but sometimes that can cross over, and sometimes that's fine and totally get away with it. But sometimes it crosses over into being um, an issue because they're not aware that they can get frostbite or that you know, the cold uh, is not affecting them the same way. Similarly, thing similar thing can happen with pain. Uh, there might be some uh, folks who may get hurt. Um, I've heard of broken arms happening and uh, kids not not really even being able to respond to the pain the way uh, most people would because they're not getting that same sensory uh, information. So it's something to kind of definitely look for. Um, you know, those are a little bit more on the extreme side, but if we're looking at sort of day-to-day type of difficulties, um, you might see an inability to tolerate uh, loud noises or maybe wanting to tolerate a lot of loud noises. (laughs) So that's another way to look at it. Um, Sometimes too much visually cluttered uh, information can be overstimulating. Um, And then depending on the environment, maybe there's too many people, maybe there's too many sounds, um, so, you know, we have too many people. You could feel that, it's, uh, that it feels crowded to you and it doesn't feel comfortable. Um, maybe it's the type of clothing that you're wearing. Um, and a common thing that people talk about are those tags that are in clothes that... Many manufacturers are not even putting in anymore, which is lovely. Um, Seams in socks, that's another one. Or maybe just a type of fabric. Maybe it's a little scratchy uh, and that can be uncomfortable. Or maybe seeking particular types of fabrics um, or other tactile type of uh, input. So, um, so 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 those those are a couple of things. Um, now, when you have this sort of sensory discomfort, let's say it is more of the mild, um, you know, I have not I have socks on that I was going to say not the proper socks on today, but I have the socks on that have those little seams or there's a little thread in there and it's bothering me, um, you know, because of that sensory discomfort. I'm not going to be able to concentrate, uh, and so I'm going to get distracted. And so right we, if we think about some of the other things we've talked about, this can then look like, um, you know, inattention. So we could have someone who's fidgeting in their seats and not being able to attend to their task, but it could be because it's a sensory issue. Perhaps it's the humming of the lights, the fluorescent lights make a hum. And maybe many of us don't notice it, or it may not bother us. But for some people, that can actually be very distracting. Or maybe it's the sound of a heating system. Or air conditioning, or, uh, you know, we can go or, 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 and we can add a whole bunch of things up. But if we're starting to have, um, you know, this inability to concentrate because of of being uncomfortable with our sensory input, then that can look like a lot of different things. But it really is, let's just fix the shirt or let's just fix the shoes. Uh, or maybe we have to just put some headphones on to minimize some noise. So again, we have to really start looking with this fine-tuned lens. The other thing that can happen is with a lot of sensory input And Maybe some people can relate. I know it can happen to me, but let's look at it in a more magnified way. When we might go to an event or uh, I would say an event, I'm going to use that as an example, but there might be a lot of people there and maybe there's a lot of noise. Um, and maybe there's a lot of different foods. I'm thinking, let's say, a party, right, which maybe right now not many of us are doing. Um, but when these things happen, I, let's say it's a wedding or something, and there's a lot of you know um, music, perhaps, and a lot of people, a lot of talking, and a lot of different smells of food. Um, maybe you're wearing clothes that aren't particularly comfortable because it's kind of a dressy situation. And now all of that input not only makes you sort of irritable and uncomfortable, but it's also making you exhausted because your senses are starting to work overtime and they're becoming overstimulated. So when, you know, we we kind of throw some of those terms around these days, oh, I'm getting overstimulated or, you know, um, I I have a lot of sensory stuff going on right now. Um, It's being used and I'm I'm kind of happy that it's become a, a more normal language to use that. Um, But uh, it actually is a very real thing where too much sensory stimulation and too much input makes your brain and your body work much, much harder. And then after something like that, let's say this wedding event, um, it will be super exhausting. So Oftentimes you'll see many of our, our folks with autism not want to attend events like that because it can be so overwhelming to the senses. Um, so, you know, we have to keep that in mind. And now we're seeing more sensory-friendly movies, more sensory-friendly events, uh, so that we can minimize some of the things that might be uh, you know, I would say uh, off-putting to our senses <laughs> in general. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's a huge piece to remember is this exhaustion piece. So what are some strategies that we can kind of put into place when we think about um, how to help mitigate, right, uh, is, um, you know, maybe finding private spaces to Um, to kind of decompress in or maybe it's a private space to work in where maybe the lights are a little more dim. Maybe it's a little bit uh, quieter, allow for fewer distractions and maybe less things in the room. And so I know as a teacher, I was also an elementary school teacher. So the walls, you know, there was a big thing and I've talked to some teachers about this, but it's setting up a really beautiful room with all sorts of fun, colorful things. But for some people, that might be a lot of sensory input. So maybe we can kind of think about what workspace looks like or finding a quieter workspace uh, and, you know, modifying that lighting. So I said maybe keeping the lights a little bit dimmer or at least having some control. Perhaps instead of fluorescent lights, um, we can use more natural, softer lights. So maybe it's just like a lamp instead. Um, I've heard some people ask for that as an accommodation at work. I mean, it's not even that hard to do. I'll just bring in my own lamp and set that up. Um, And then other things to think about uh, is avoiding things that have a lot of scent. So we can minimize wearing um, perfumes and colognes, sometimes it's laundry detergent or um, particular shampoos, right? All that stuff has sense. And we're looking to add that stuff in because it smells so good to most people. Um, But there are many people who are put off. I know I also get migraine. And um, sometimes some of those smells with perfumes um, and soaps and lotions can be triggering for migraine. And so, um, you know, it's kind of the same thing. So we want to make sure we're kind of thinking about if those might be triggers for some people as far as sensory sensitivities are concerned. Uh, Another thing to try is maybe using earplugs or noise-canceling headphones or earbuds as well help to minimize that noise. Um, and, and most people can still actually hear (laughs) through them, um, you know, a little bit, it kind of just gets rid of a lot of the ambient noise, which can be really helpful. Um, and modifying, uh, your task and maybe work schedules, um, or assignment schedules, we might have to think about building in more breaks in there, right? And so we'll, we'll, yeah, I like to call them replenishing breaks, um, or, you know, uh, Yeah, pretty much just like the space to kind of uh, fill your cup again, so to speak. So sometimes we can tend to get lost in what we're doing and and go, 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 go and just keep adding on. Uh, But then at the end, it's super exhausting. So how can we find a way to incorporate breaks in between our work and in between tasks or perhaps class assignments so that we can kind of replenish bring, uh, regulate our senses, really, and then be able to attend because we're, um, it'll be better for us and we'll be able to better attend, of course. Um, so, you know, in, in, the, in the interest here of thinking about what kind of um, ways to build self-awareness, um, again, to build self-advocacy, it would be great to start really thinking about what kind of tools can I use to help mitigate some of my sensory sensitivities. And so uh, what kind of breaks would I need? Um, Where would I go? Do I need a quiet space or do I actually need to just go for a little run around the block or something and come back? Uh, Do I have to think about the kind of clothes I wear? Do I have to think about the kind of um, soaps I use? So, you know, those are the things we want to start thinking about so that we can build self-awareness and then we can advocate uh, and be able to get our needs met in that way. So, um, you know, that's that's the sensory sensitivity piece. If we talk about, um, as I mentioned before, the visual, spatial, and motor skills, right here we're talking about um, the, the pieces of fine motor skills, which, you know, we might associate with writing, uh, maybe with um, buttoning, uh, tying shoelaces, opening jars, um, that kind of stuff. If we're looking at that, um, that could be its own challenge. We have gross motor uh, activities, which, if you think about all your larger muscles, which is like your legs and your arms, um, and being able to coordinate those types of pieces. So those are two areas that we would think about. Sometimes it also includes, um, you know, how our body, uh, is, body parts, I would say, <laughs> relate to each other. Like, how, how do we f- Put them in space, um, and then also creating personal boundaries, especially personal space boundaries, is what I mean here. Um, you know, do I do I not want people to be fairly close to me? Does that make me feel uncomfortable? Um, or you know, do I like to feel really close to someone because maybe I feel like they're paying attention to me, or maybe I'm not sure how to judge that? You know, right now we're living in a time where. Personal space boundary is six foot apart <laughs> and um, and while that's um, that's working for us right now, it is sometimes really hard when you see someone that you know really well and you're used to either shaking their hand or giving them a hug, and you can't do that right so it's it's creating this um, personal space boundary that is uncomfortable for us. But for many people with autism, that's actually like an all the time kind of thing. It's I'm not sure how close to stand to people. I'm not sure how far away to stand in different circumstances, call for different um, personal space boundaries. So sometimes we need to just ask for that um, and get, you know, again, be more aware um, so that we can make sure we are building the right boundaries for ourselves in terms of space and for connecting with other people. Other things that we would say, you know, day-to-day, uh, some day-to-day activities that could be a bit of a challenge is um, when, when, you, when you're looking at the visual spatial piece is understanding where to sit in a particular space. So if I walk into a classroom or I walk into uh, an office setting and maybe, you know, there aren't assigned seats, I might not be sure where to sit or where to stand and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Also, things to think about would be navigating hallways. Um, navigating aisles uh, right now. <laughs> Again, you know, if we go to some grocery stores, it tells us exactly which direction to go in um, and which ones not to, where to enter, where to exit for particular stores. And that's actually pretty clarifying information. But in general, we don't have that kind of information. And so um, in, in the normal world, uh, we would have to figure out how to navigate that and, you know, what side to walk on, how do we avoid other people, standing around. Um, Another thing that we have to think about is in many employment situations, uh, especially in a building, many floors look exactly the same. I know I worked in an office building that every single floor was designed the same way and you would get off the elevator and Turn and make a left, and there would be a sea of cubes, and they all looked exactly the same. So, you'd have to be really sure you were on the right floor because you would start to wander and get to the wrong place, perhaps, if you were on the wrong floor. So, um, again, things need to be really clear and very specific and kind of do a a trial run sometimes before uh, going to certain places. And the same thing with navigating classrooms, being really clear about where things are. Um, where do we put things? How do we clean up? Where maybe perhaps steps to that. So we'll talk about a few more strategies in a second. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> the other thing is is understanding where to put personal items um, in your workspace. So you know, I think we're starting to get a little bit into executive functioning, which will be its own topic. Uh, but you know, if we're not sure if our visual spatial, um, you know, piece is a little challenged, we might not know how to place our work uh, items to be able to get uh, to get to task. So if you're a student, uh, how is everything fitting from the inside of my desk or my backpack and how am I placing it uh, in front of me and what is the most efficient way to do that and how do I know how to access everything? It can be that piece. It can also be a piece of, oh, I have um, this you know, worksheet in front of me and have to try and fit my writing into the small uh, boxes that are there. And I might not be able to do that for not just necessarily for visual spatial reasons, but perhaps also for fine motor reasons. So, um, you know, again, all of these things start to overlap and, and play a part into uh, building up, you know, some frustration, as you would imagine. So um, some things we can do about that. You know, when we're working with students and, you know, employees, perhaps uh, we have to think about allowing for extra time, right, allowing extra time for task completion, allowing extra time perhaps to get from one location to another, because we're talking about navigating those hallways. Um, And if we're talking about sensory sensitivities. If there's too many people in the hallway, uh, maybe we need to give someone a few extra minutes before everybody else gets out of class, you know, if I'm thinking particularly a middle school or high school setting. So this is why sometimes that extra time to get things done is put into place or why um, letting a student leave, you know, a few minutes earlier from class to get to where they need to go um, comes into play. Another thing to think about is allowing students to you know or employers you know if we think about a meeting setting is allow for easy room entry and exit. So you know what's we talk about preferential seating a lot uh, in you know when we're talking about accommodations, but preferential seating, historically has had the meaning of being in the front of the room or right in front of the teacher. Um, and that might not, not, might not necessarily be what we need. What we might need is um, easy access to the door so that a student can get up and if they have to go for a walk, they can do that. Uh, if they have to just, you know, take a little break, they can do that or walk around the classroom and still be in the room learning, but needing that kind of sensory stimulation to keep walking around. So um I think we need to rethink a little bit uh what we mean about preferential seating and then um, maybe adjusting requirements for handwritten materials. So maybe it's really, uh, we can we type it in? There's so many great tools and apps out there to help with that, that perhaps handwriting um, you know, doesn't really even need to be a barrier anymore. And then again, um, providing examples and models for students of what work should look like uh, and what the completion um, should look like. And so you know, one thing I I like to say about that is if we're providing models for our students, we can't always provide you know the perfect model of how we'd like it to look. Uh, I know when I started teaching, most of the model work I would show my first graders was my work. I created the the flower I wanted them to make or the poem that we were going to be making, right? So you make that model. you sh- Then you show them how to cut out all the flowers and how to lay out all the letters, all that fun stuff. Um, but the model is your model, right? It's your work. I like to provide student models now, (laughs) and um, those models uh, are going to range. It's going to be the student who creates, you know, the perfect masterpiece who went above and beyond what you had expected a student to go uh, and do, Um, but also provide, uh, you know, what the average student is providing and also what all of the ranges are of acceptable work. We don't want a student to look at that perfect, perfect model and say, you know, I can't ever do that. So why bother? Hi, this is Elia. Just wanted to let you know that SSG also offers trainings, consultations, and parent coaching. Uh, Check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com and I'd love to hear from you. What we need to provide is a wide range of acceptable work and then let the student feel like they can identify with something. So again, something else to think about when you're providing uh, model work for students or for, you know, people that are working with you. And then the other thing I like to do is provide maps and photos uh, of different things. And um, I may have chatted about this before, but when I work with people um, or even when I'm talking to my friends or just, um, you know, whenever I plan an event or something, um, I provide a lot of photos, a lot of reference links. Um, I like to provide maps, menus, a lot of different things that people can use and look at so that they know what to expect. Again, we want to kind of minimize um, surprises in this case, and that will help to minimize anxiety. So um, I hope that some of these strategies were really helpful, and if there are things that you um, that you do or that things that you've used with other students or clients, please, please let me know. I really... Um, like to hear a lot of different you know examples so that we can keep building that dynamic toolbox that I talk about so um thank you so much for listening and I hope you all take care bye thanks for listening to autism in real life This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.